to Speakeasy Theology with Chris Green. Merry Christmas, Zoe. Merry Christmas Eve. Okay, okay, yes, it is technically Christmas Eve, and pretty soon we'll be heading to service tonight. But let's take a few moments and talk about Mary's song. I, you and I obviously have discussed it quite a bit over the last couple of years. Not just her song, but who she is and what she means to me, what she means to you. And I know you've been reading about it as well. So let's let's start, though, with with the Magnificat. If you'll read it for us. Do you want to read it? Uh, I'm sure. I'm happy to read it. He's like, mm, <laughs> no. I'm happy to read it. So I'm reading, this is the NRSV, I think. Or the NIV, I can't. Yeah, this is the NIV. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So that's Mary's song, Luke chapter 1. Let's start with your thoughts. What, What strikes you about it? The first question I probably have is, why do you think it says his mercy extends to those who fear him? Well, obviously we don't mean that God is only merciful to those who already revere him or honor him or obey. Their their reverence and obedience is created by his mercy. I think the point we should be hearing here is his mercy is we know his mercy is reaching us when that same kind of mercy starts to take shape in us for other people so again it is already reaching us but we don't know it until we're able to be merciful as he is merciful so when it's telling us that it extends to those who fear him the point we we can't hear that as oh, he's not merciful to those who do not fear him it's those who do not fear him do not realize what his mercy is doing for them yet Hmm. I was also thinking maybe it had something to do with, like, if we shouldn't fear him, mm. his mercy is extending those who do because, like, they're afraid. I think that, I think that's true, too. I, 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 I hadn't... Uh, scripture often speaks of fearing the Lord in, in a good sense. Not always, but often. But it's also... You're right. It's also true in that other way. That if we, if we you know, perfect love casts out fear, in the language of First John... So if we are afraid of God in ways we should not be, his mercy comes to us to deliver us from that fear. Absolutely. I like that reading. Um, also, what do you think is important about he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts? Why scattered? I think it's a kind of sending away to find themselves. You know, that To be proud is to be so exalted to have your ego so inflated that you've lost touch with who you really are right you you've forgotten your own name you're you've lost your identity so i think this the scattering and i think this happens in well i know in scripture it happens to peoples as well as to persons the the scattering the exile is 
is a kind of pilgrimage they're sent on, against their will at first, for their good, but against their will, to rediscover. Oh, this is this is who I am. So it's it's a it's a journey of rediscovery of, of returning to themselves, finding themselves, and finding God. Do you think that's pretty similar to the line, "He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty"? Yeah, it's the same. I think it's the exact same pattern. And of course, you're getting paralleling of the rich and the powerful, or the rich and the mighty. They're and the proud, like those that those are overlapping yeah. groups, right? Those who are proud, those who are rich, those who are mighty, have to be sent away and have to, have to be brought down and sent away so that they can find themselves and come home and be exalted. And so it's also not this like sending away as if they don't get good things. Like the humble do. No, that is the good thing they need. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's the... And it's it's the necessary work for receiving the good thing. So back to your original question. If God's mercy is coming to me, but I'm not receiving it, it's because I'm, I'm blocking it in some way. Something in me is keeping me from receiving it. And that might just be simple immaturity. I haven't grown up yet. It might be out-and-out out defiance. It might be confusion. It might be that I'm so wounded and because of the ways others have mistreated me, I'm, I'm broken through no, no, no fault of my own. And who knows the reasons, right? But whatever the reasons are, I'm, I'm frustrating or quenching the flow of spirit in my life. And that has to be healed and repaired so that I can be merciful as God is merciful to me. And in that way, be myself. So like, as Mary's song in this time is about stepping into, and Christmas is about stepping into this joy, what's joyful about Mary's song? There's so much to me that, I mean, I, I think it's almost inexhaustible because, well, it is inexhaustible because her song is the culmination of, of all songs and prayers and prophecies. The way that Luke is telling the story, Mary is the climax of Israel's history of prayer and singing psalms and prophecy. Like it's all come to this moment in which she's the new Abraham, the new Moses, the new Sarah, the new Hagar, the new Hannah, the new Gideon, the new Isaiah, like all of it has come to her. And she's in this particular moment reliving or embodying in a, in a new way the whole of Israel's prayer and worship and knowing of God. And it, it's so it's inexhaustible, right? There's no, there's no end to... It's, it's a kind of overawed joy. It's a joy that's carried her away. It, she's, she's ecstatic. You know, she's, she's fully herself, but she's being carried beyond herself. There, there's there's a transcendence to what's happening. The last thing that like sticks out to me in this song right now is the introduction where she says, "My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." And I feel like we've talked a lot about um, how Mary is how is who we get to know God through, mm -hmm. which reminds me of the other thing she is right like that she is our mother and she is his mother and that she her love and her knowing of us is like kind of how we get to Jesus. Yeah. But 
what's also interesting about that in this time of Mary's song being like this endless joy and love is that she's also like a really sorrowful, mournful mm. character. Like her icon has her seven sorrows and the seven swords in her heart. And those are kind of all the things that I'm noticing that's interesting about how much joy she still has capacity for, how much love she offers, what it means for her to be mother and what that means for for us for knowing like mm. the divine. Absolutely. I, so, so much to respond to. One, I think the depth of our sorrow is what prepares the way for the depth of joy. Those who sorrow... I think it, it helps to make a distinction between those who are suffering and those who sorrow. I, I think sorrowing is taking suffering to heart. So everyone suffers, some more than others, but everyone suffers. But sorrowing is something we have to learn to do. Grieving is something we have to learn to do. Mary has learned to do it with perfect faithfulness. She she learned, thanks to the Spirit in her life, thanks to the grace that's on her, she's able to sorrow as we are meant to sorrow. So she takes suffering to heart. That's why she has the seven sorrows. Like her, it, It's a perfection of sorrow that is accomplished in her heart. And knowing Jesus as she does... And she's the first one to know him the way we're all meant to know him. She's, she doesn't know him better than everyone else. She just knows him first of everyone else. Right? He's, he is to her what he intends to be to all of us, but he's that to her first for our sakes. And, and that's why we, we should think of her in many ways as the first disciple. Like she's, she's the one, including, and this is the, some of the wonder of it, he's discipling her by being in need of her. Like he's discipling her by being the baby in her womb, the baby in her arms, the child, you know, playing in the floor while she's working, you know, the, the child that she has to find because he's lost in the temple. Like he's he's obeying her in ways that teach her how to obey him and how to obey God. And that grace that's on her life is the grace of his nearness to her. It's not something that she she has or would want to have apart from him. She has because of how he has related to her. And and therefore we can't know him without her. Like he he is Jesus, Mary's son. She is the mother of God. We we just don't know who he is without her and therefore we don't know God without her. And she's she's in that way our mother too. I mean, you said this. She's our mother too because we are in him. I mean, he is the head of the body. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We're his bride. We're his friends. We're his brothers and sisters. And therefore, his mom is our mom too. And and that's true in, in multiple ways. It's true in that her faith, her saying yes to God, becomes the way in which Jesus comes to us in God's wisdom. But also her her example, like the, the ways in which she responds rightly to him in, in the Gospel of John right at the very beginning of the gospel they're at a wedding together Jesus and his family and she notices that the wine has run out and she goes to him and says they're out of wine which means like she knows who he is she knows that this is a need and that something in him is going to respond to that need and he says to her it's not my time but then she immediately goes to the servants and says do whatever he tells you to do and what's striking about that for me 
is that means she knows not only that he's the one who can do something about this need, but also that when he gets ready to do it, these are the people he will talk to. Like, he'll go to the servants. Like, he won't, you know, make a show of it. Like he's not going to do something dramatic to draw attention to himself. He's not going to call fire down or, you know, perform some kind of magic trick that makes him famous. He's going to talk to these servants that no one else is noticing. And sure enough, that's exactly what Jesus does and turns the water to wine. And I, I think that we could talk about that forever, but all the way through the scripture, we see her knowing him that way in ways we're all, all meant to know him. And I say all that to say, that's her joy. She gets to know him. She gets to know him as he actually is. And she gets to be fully herself, right? She's not, she knows the joy of being the favored one, but not in, in a way that's pretended or she's, she's not, her ego's not inflated. Her identity is fully realized because of how close he is to her. I think it's important to know why, like, um, what her relationship is to all that because like in your life and recently in my life and a lot of friends around me like we keep having these experiences of, of Mary we're in a season in a time where like focusing on Mary seems appropriate so it kind of matters I think too well like what what does that mean relationally and like I think that's a good foundation to start with before talking about some of the things like we've seen with Mary or know of Mary yeah so I, I think it's a kind of fascinating and it might be good to talk for a bit about what experiences we've had but let me first kind of set the stage for for that conversation by saying i think the spirit the holy spirit teaching us training us kind of maturing us helping us grow up into who we're called to be is all always looking to work with our hearts and with our imaginations like that mm. we I, I said last night to a friend I think God speaks to us in ways that are meant to give us our own voices. He, he doesn't want to be heard. He wants us to be able to speak. So he speaks to us in ways that when we're hearing him rightly, our own voices come into their fullness, which is, again, what happens here with Mary. Christ comes to her, and what comes up out of her is her own song, like Mary's song. And she's glorified in it. She's highly favored even though her her life seems insignificant to almost everyone else around her, not so to God. And I, I think as depending on how we've been formed and how we've been trained, the Spirit can work with that training. And above and beyond what we've been taught directly, I think the Spirit can awaken our imagination to guide us out of the shortfalls in our teaching and the ways we've been misguided. So I'll, I'll, start, I'll start first with this story, which, you know, I was younger than Emory is now, six or seven, and I was saying my prayers at night. And suddenly I, st I was sitting by my bed, like on the floor, with my back against the bed in Mimi and Papa's house. Well, at the time, my house too. And I just suddenly started singing a song thanking Mary for sharing Jesus with us. And I had this like very, like overwhelmingly tender gratitude, like painfully tender sense of she could have like tried to keep him to herself. Like she could have mm -hmm. 
held on to him. But she didn't. Like, she shared him. And how that seems, like, we take that for granted. Like, that she didn't have to do that. Like, she didn't have to be so ready, right, to to let others know him. And, and to know what that meant, right? To know that that means she's going to lose him. You know, she's going to lose him when he's much too young. Mm. And that there, there's, there are no accounts of her trying to protect him from that. Yeah. Which is, you would think, be exactly what, what she would do. Now, I wasn't taught that, at least not directly. Yeah. I never thought about, like, that sacrifice. Right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, and I hadn't either. Like, but suddenly it came up out of my out of my heart. So I think part of what we have to recognize is that even if our the teaching we're getting in our churches our families is not explicitly addressing this the spirit still finds ways of kind of drawing that drawing that up yeah and it certainly happened in my case I, I i've i think i'd have to go back over it again but i think i've had four or five kind of major experiences related to mary that was the first one and another one was right after my stroke with this vision of her as like a Native American woman, like quieting horses, which I've talked with you about before too. Do you not remember this? Mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you about that. But I, that point about, I know we were talking recently about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. That's part of the, the wonder of that, of that story, which let's talk about that for a minute. Like how, kind of how you stumbled into that and, and share a bit of your own experience, whatever you're comfortable sharing in terms of how you came at, how you've experienced Mary in your own kind of growth and development. Yeah. I think one thing that's so interesting about Mary and like the way we've talked about the sorrow versus the joy here is the way I see her showing up again and again in your stories and my friends' stories and my stories is somehow being able to take like really painful moments or things that we don't know how to deal with as human beings and i think maybe she feels closer in that way too Mm. like as a human being and as a mom closer than and as a woman like to me and again like you talked about there's something about the way the way we've been taught and the way the way we learn things how they are able to relate to us but like to me specifically like she feels more near and like graspable than god or jesus Mm. maybe not more than goodness but like i can be with her more easily and the stories that i'm thinking of is one time like just feeling that that kind of like sadness that starts to turn into more of a despair and like deeply just like hurting and just realizing if mary could suffer the way she did and still want to be around she didn't just live like a lifetime and she was just human you know what i mean like she was just human not in some like belittling way but to still want to be around to still be on my wall as an icon to still be mothering to still be like with god and mothering god and mothering. yeah to be at peace with that's that's who she is that's her identity yeah just showing up in this world this long for all of us and to then somehow take joy in it that i felt this kind of like yieldedness that like Mm. she must know more than me and i can give up to that do you know Mm. what i mean like i can trust that yeah um and 
I think too I think a friend of yours shared a prayer like she had done a retreat and done a couple prayer journals and the end of it I think she ended by saying that Mary just told her I see you and I feel the things you're feeling and I know I know what pain you're in is that yes. enough is that enough and before I read it, I was like, is that enough? Like, she didn't answer and I didn't answer. But when I kind of felt that really deep pain and thought about Mary, I thought, like, I realized why it is enough. Because she's telling me, like, I've suffered this too. And just something, the thing that just kept making me think is, like, she's still here. Right. I don't know she why She suffered mattered, it, but, but she's still here. Absolutely. Yeah. So there has to be some joy or something here that, like, I can't see that she can. And then... Bishop Beth, which I love Bishop Beth so yeah. much. She's so sweet. Um, she met up with me and we talked about Mary. And recently she, I asked her like what she spends her time, you know, reading and during like Christmas and all this stuff. And she sent me Mary's song in the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, mm. which I'll let you talk about in a minute. But on that whole note of like, you know, Mary being a way of learning how to deal with like the pains, like deep, deep pains and somehow leading you to like joyfulness. Mm. A friend of mine, Danielle, also had a vision where she was with Mary and my friend Danielle talks about just like how she kind of takes on like the weight of the world sometimes. Like just the pains of like all of the mm. earth and like all of how can these horrible things happen everywhere and like she feels it like almost too close, which I think I hear a lot of people talk about certain things like that with the way news is always around us and how much we know and how you know just things like that and she said that she kind of looked over during a service in the season and mary was sitting beside her in this cloak and then mary opened her arm like outstretched and in she could see into the cloak and into mary's arm and mary said like danielle realizes or mary says like she's holding like the whole universe kind of in yeah. her womb and Danielle thinking of all the sorrows of the world and everything is like where's Jesus and I think she said again like she doesn't know if Mary said it or she realized it but she was like he he's in my womb mm. is in Danielle might have asked like is he in your womb and Mary was like yes exactly mm. yeah Right, that, that what makes makes it so that Mary can be this to us is who Jesus is to her. I mean, one of the things, and Daniel is aware of this, but I wasn't, again, as a kid. The Our, our hearts know, because the Spirit is working on our hearts, our hearts know things we ourselves haven't caught up to yet. Right, so one of the things I learned much later in life is that that notion of, Mary sharing Jesus with us runs through Christian teaching. You can see it in like in Athanasius, who's an early church father, who will talk about how God does not begrudge in anything its existence. Like God does, is not stingy with being. He gives He gives it freely. And so Mary, by becoming godly, by God taking shape in her, of course is not stingy. Like she's does not begrudge the existence of her son. She doesn't cling to him. Although when we think about motherhood go wrong, gone wrong, that's exactly what it is. It's a kind of clinging to I want this to be I want to be the mother of this child. I want this child to be mine, not the world's, right? Not not God's. And so that's you, you see it like in the hymn, there's a I think it's 
don't quote me exactly, but I think it's the second hymn of the Nativity, Ephraim the Syrian. He says, you know, Mary, she does not cling to Jesus, which he's playing on Philippians 2, where Christ does not cling to equality with God. So there's this, there's no, there's no hoarding of Jesus. Jesus does not kind of clutch at his equality, but opens his life to ours. Mary does not, you know, hold Jesus near, protect him, or, or try to safeguard him from reality, or keep her, keep him to herself. She, she opens to him. And the same thing with, with like with Danielle and the Mary, kind of containing all things within her womb because Christ is in her womb. Again, that shows up right through Christian iconographic and liturgical tradition that Mary is the one who contains the uncontainable. Like the, the, the God who is beyond all things, the God who creates all things, somehow becomes a little baby in her womb. And the, the mystery of that is the mystery of all things. Like the incarnation is the mystery of everything. And so like Danielle's experience is actually resonating with the whole Christian tradition, you know? Like it's not just something she's making up for herself, which is a, a sign that it is, in fact, the Spirit's working. I, I wanted to say this too about, I, I know there would be a lot of people who'd be unnerved by the thought that, you would be more at ease or I would be more at ease or Danielle would be more at ease with Mary than with Jesus or something. But what we have to recognize is what we're describing when we talk about that is not that Mary is superior to Jesus or that we can't get to Jesus without Mary. It's that the image of Jesus we've been given and the way we've been made to feel about Jesus and the God he reveals makes it so that many of us have to be healed we we have to have that image broken in order to see Jesus as he actually is and the spirit in wisdom knows that knows what we need to get there to see Jesus as he actually is and this you know you and I were discussing just the other day at, at one of your experiences with Mary and you said something to the effect I mean say it in your own words but what i heard was you've come to see Jesus the way she sees him and that's different for you talk about that a little bit or, like, I think, again, like, that's the goal of things. But I just noticed, I noticed the difference. I think the difference that I told you that I noticed that was weird is, like, if I imagine Jesus, I imagine him, like, white with brown hair and brown beard on, like, an almost cartoon, like, green yeah. mountain yeah. in a white, like, floor-length cloak or something. Mm -hmm. And I walk up to him. Like, very clean. Kind yeah, of, yeah, almost yeah. like a cartoon show. Mm -hmm. Probably, like, exactly like you're saying, images that have been given to me. Um... And I walk up to him and, like, we can be chill, but there's, like, a certain professionalism distance. Yeah. We kind of stand together, Jesus walk is being together. Jesus, so he's kind of above it all. In that yeah, way. we kind of walk together or talk or, but kind of with this distance versus when I can imagine Mary. I can imagine, like, Mary holding me or around me or crying. Mm -hmm. Just, and I think there's things exactly like you're saying images given to us, experiences that we've had. I think there's something beautiful about Jesus giving us something like a mother, like you were saying about sometimes we need to heal to be able to imagine it. And and imagine it in order to be healed. I mean, it, it works both ways. Right. And so, like, we need mothering in that way. Like, And I think that's what she's there to do. And I told you the thing that's also interesting is, like, I can't feel fully close 
to Jesus in that one image. But with Mary and thinking of Mary, I can kind of see the baby in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then that I feel more close to. Mm -hmm. Or like more connected. Things like that. Um, But I don't, yeah, I wasn't saying I think Mary's like more divine than... No, no, yeah. I mean, even if you had been, I wouldn't have been like scandalized by it. But that's not, I know that's not the point you were making. And I, I think it's important... Like we don't we don't need to be protective of Jesus. So many people, I think, react to talk about Mary or any saint in ways that are, are you know defending the uniqueness of Jesus. But the uniqueness of Jesus is that he doesn't he isn't who he is apart from us. Like there there is no Jesus apart from Mary. That's his will. That's what he intended. That's his wisdom. But it's true. Like if we're going to talk about Jesus, we have to talk about the fact that. You know, he shares the DNA of this woman. Like he, he learned. Again, his learning was teaching her, but he learned from her. Like he, he learned to pray because of the way she prayed. And one of the ways that, but to just kind of press the point, like when when we read in Scripture about God speaking, or when we experience God speaking to us, like. Mary was the one who would it would be first to recognize that voice. Like, that's yeah. my boy. Like, she, she recognizes in a way that only a mom can until the Spirit shares that grace with all of us. That, you know, this is, this is my son. And you know, Origen, again, early church teacher, this is, he, he sees the whole of the Christian life in that story at the end of John's Gospel when Jesus is dying and he says to the beloved disciple, behold your mother, and to his mom, behold your son. And he says what's happened here is that Jesus is now given to his disciple and to all of us the same relationship to his mother that mm-hmm. he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she is our mother. And we now have to be mothered into Christ-likeness. And that's, that's what's happening to us all, all, over and over again. I do think... There is a lot with you, with Danielle, with me, with Maureen. There, there's, and I could name others. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing more and more and more from people who are having experiences of Mary, and specifically, Mary as a native woman, Lady of Guadalupe. When Mary appears, she appears as a dark-skinned woman, as a, a native woman. Yeah. And she speaks Nahuatl. She speaks the language, not not Spanish, not the yeah. language of the people that conquered Mexico. Yeah. But like the language of the people who had been there and were conquered. Mm-hmm. And that 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 is not an insignificant detail, right? Like that that's and she appears to a peasant, right? To Juan Diego, who's I mean, when he goes and tells the bishop what's happened, the bishop doesn't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> and says, "Go again." That's exactly, yeah. That's not gonna. I'm not gonna take you at your word. And there's. In some ways, I mean, that kind of skepticism probably does us good. Sometimes we, we, we don't want to be too quick to, to jump to, we don't want to be credulous. But we do need to be open. And I, I, I think one of the marks, not just of that particular appearance of Mary, but of anyone's experience of Mary is, you know, what's the character like? Yeah. What is she like? Yeah. And, and that is saying something about her, but it's also saying something about how healed our hearts are. Uh, in in that process, that of becoming whole and coming to see God as He is, and see that in, in the face of Jesus. Yeah. So if I can put it like this, in a 
I, th I think that, of course, it's only in Jesus that we see God. But we can't see Jesus until we're healed enough to recognize who he really is. And that's why he's collaborating with so many other people. And he doesn't want to be—he doesn't want to be known apart from his mother or apart from his disciples and his friends, and he won't be. There is no, there's no way to get to know Jesus apart from them. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that the things I'm seeing, like patterns in these visions of Mary, this is like you were saying, Danielle's visions and the Lady of Guadalupe, is there's these native visions of women, I think there are things to be questioned about. Not only her being a mother, but a woman, and what does it mean that, like, you know, I've heard quotes from, what's that show, like, Fleabag or something? Yeah. Like, being being a woman mm. is tied to suffering. Yeah. It has pain built in. Yeah, absolutely. Things like that. And also this thing of, like, where you think there is the most hopelessness, Mary is this sign of joy. Like, in that Danielle's vision, I think, part of what she was saying is, like, Danielle was saying, I can't see, like, the goodness here, this whole universe. And she was like, it is the holy universe, and I'm holding both. Like, I yeah. can hold that, how yeah. dark this I is, and the together. light of God. Yeah. yeah. And I was just looking up what the Lady of Guadalupe said mm. to yeah. um, she Juan, to Juan Diego. Diego. Yeah. And she says, hear me and understand me well, my littlest son, that nothing should frighten or grieve you. Let not let not your heart be disturbed. Do you not do not fear that sickness nor any other sickness or anguish nor any other sickness or anguish? Am I not here? Who is your mother? Are you not under my protection? Am I not your health? Are you not happy within my fold? What else do you wish? Do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Do not be afflicted by the illness of your uncle, who will not die now of it. Be assured that he is now cured. Climb, my dear son, to the top of the hill. There you will see me, and I give you orders. And I gave you orders. You will find different flowers. Cut them, gather them, assemble them. Then come and bring them before my presence. Hmm. Yeah, and you you get that calming, that reassurance. Mm -hmm. You know the. And the are you not happy within my fold reminds mm -hmm. me so much of Danielle's being enfolded. Dream. Yeah. yeah, and how I always kind of imagine Mary around me too. Mm -hmm. And yes, and, and recognizing that her mothering is the grace of God made particular in her. Of course, only God can do that until God makes it possible for her. And in making it possible for her, he makes it possible for all of us. Like yeah. that we, we can become Mary-like you know, son, behold your mother, as Jesus says to John at the cross. Like you, you can become like this, and and that's exactly what happens in Scripture. You know, Moses is overwhelmed at the work he has to do, caring for Israel, and he says to God, like, this people, they're not my baby. Like I'm, I'm not going. Like I, like I'm not their mother. You are. Yeah. But then what happens is God sends the Spirit on the 70 elders, the Spirit of Moses, and the Holy Spirit. And it turns out that that's exactly who Moses is. He absolutely is mothering these people, right? He's the Spirit that's in him, just like the milk comes from the mother to the baby, life comes from the mother to the baby. 
the spirit that's in Moses comes to the 70 and then to all of Israel. I mean, he is, I mean, what God is showing is absolutely you're their mother. Because I, because I am, you can be too. Yeah. And that's what's happening at the cross. And this is, you know, when Paul will say to his churches, like, I'm in the pain of childbirth that Christ may be formed in you again. Like he's, or elsewhere, you know, I'm, I've nursed you in the gospel. And, and on and on and on. Like all the way through scripture and the Christian tradition, there's this sense in which we are becoming mothers of God. Meister Eckhart preaches preaches that very line. Right? We're all meant to be mothers of God. Origin, I mentioned him earlier. He says that what good is it for me to know the grace that's on Mary if that grace cannot be in me too? Hmm. And it can be, right? And, yeah. and it can be because it's in her. So the, the particular, I mean, no one else is Mary as Mary is Mary, but we can be Mary-like. And yeah. just as she's not begrudging her son to us, he's not begrudging the grace of her mothering. One, another line that's really sticking out to me from what Lady Guadalupe said is, what else do you wish? Mm. And it reminds me of the, your friend that journaled, is that enough? Is that enough, yeah. And I just think it's so interesting that, like, again, you don't fully know why it is until you do. You know what I'm saying? And then you're like, that is enough. And I think it's kind of like what you're saying. Once you realize that, once she kind of asks you that question and you can answer it, you also are, like, kind of getting that grace like you're talking about. Yeah, you've now become like her. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. So in my, in, in, right after the stroke, I think it was the second day after the stroke. Oh, interesting. I should have said this. I'm pretty sure we need to check with Danielle, but I'm, I'm like 99% sure that that vision she's talking about, she had on the feast of our lady. Of Guadalupe. Yeah. We were talking about that. She thought it was either the 12th or the 13th. And I was like, I'm pretty sure the 12th is the 12th is yeah. the, Which the is day wild. of. Yeah. yeah. So mine, my, my, a day or two after my stroke, I, I had, this vision of Mary and she was like a, I mean, I was kind of half awake. I, it wasn't quite a dream. I was waking up, but I saw Mary as a native woman and she was wearing like a, a blanket around her that had like the stars on it. And she was like moving in and out of this, these horses. And I recognize this kind of, group of horses and I recognize right away these are the four horses of the apocalypse like this is the vision from revelation like this is the red horse and the the pale horse and so on and but they as she started like whispering to them and it was a kind of chant I couldn't I could hear it but I didn't have any idea what she was saying because it was in a language I don't know and like it started to swirl together and it was sort of like watching paint when you, you know, like watercolors and you add water to it and they start to swirl together. Mm. Like they, like she's moving horse to horse to horse to horse and then they're kind of dancing and like it, in my vision of it, like everything starts to blur, mingle and it's running together. But then it came like back into really sharp focus and the, like these horses are unbelievably charged with life like rearing and snorting and pawing at like incredible display of power 
in all of them. But I know that what she did is like cast a spell on them so that only Jesus can ride them. Hmm. Like no one else can ride them but Jesus. They're, they're too powerful for anyone else but Jesus. And like, I mean, I think it's obvious why I needed to hear that given what I just, just happened to me. But again, there's that theme of kind of her coming as something native, yeah. as something that is back behind the world as we know it. Like it's out of the reach of the, what we've made of the world. And it's also interesting because I'm hearing so many similarities to another vision Danielle had where she, I don't know if she told you about this one, also saw Mary as a native woman in a cloak mm, yeah. in dark, kind of dancing in a circular motion and chanting. <laughs> Sorry, our dog is so upset. Um, Augie is not pleased with this conversation. Dancing and like chanting and she was saying she couldn't exactly tell like the expression on her face and as we talked about it what I remember her saying was it feels like she's mourning but she's glad mm. anyway so many yeah, things yeah, like yeah, the circular yeah, yeah, motion yeah, yeah. the chanting she even described it as like a singing um, and her being in a cloak so many times and like there's just so many similarities again like that just come up that I think are important for other people to notice in here too that are intriguing me um it's also reminding me of that poem that we've been reading from christian wyman mm-hmm. um yeah that's a that's a good place to go Let, let's go to that i think that's a, that's right my god my bright abyss into which all my longing will not go once more i come to the edge of all i know and believing in nothing believe in this yeah Talk to me about it. Like, how, how is it? Again, like, Danielle's vision kind of, like, reminded me of it. Like, again, seeing... I think what's so great about Mary, what's so hopeful about knowing something good and, like, powerful and knowing all these good things is, like, believing in nothing you can believe in this. Mm-hmm. And it is this sort of strange... Like, it's hard to talk about it because it really does come out of, like deep sorrow or grief and it doesn't have to but it it is so like joyous like just realizing it's this it it is almost freeing and oh i think it is freeing i think it is not but not in a way that makes you irresponsible or indifferent no that's what you mean right it it does not like it frees you from responsibility it's just it frees you up to be yourself and to take responsibility it's just like this it's this way of knowing that like there is no like we say this all the time but like in this way of knowing it and coming to know it there is this way of getting to like there is no amount of darkness that is like hopeless to me and there's nowhere i can go where there's no beauty there's nothing i can you know like those lines like there's nowhere i can go where you are not there or things like that like there's no amount of pain or accidents or sorrows that defeat like the joy of this life mm-hmm. and that's what i mean is freeing about it is like we don't need to be hopeless like we don't need to be decayed like every time when you say this quote all the time like we are always afraid of these big things that will happen but when we reach those big things we have like what we need yeah in anyways it's just like it is like this just reassurance and like love in a certain way that brings us back to health and reminds us that like this is a gift like living is a gift and here's all the beautiful things here no amount of like pain or sadness or suffering could ever 
take that away from you That's or right. abyss, you know, like no, nothing could. So, yeah. And, and that this, this is why we need the saints. Absolutely. Like they are the people who've been, and, and, and virtually without exception, there are people who suffer immensely. I mean, Mary obviously did. They suffer, they suffer to the extreme, and then what they find at that extreme is a deeper joy. Like there's mm. some, there's life, kind of out beyond the limits of what you could, where you could expect it to be. Yeah. You know, um, and the you, you see this, Eddie Hillison, You and I have talked about her too. I mean that that sense of, I, I mean I think about it all the time, all the time. She's in Auschwitz, and what she's sensing is a kind of joy. I mean, she talks about in one of one of the passages that I love and in her diaries. Sings, right? At the end, she sings right. So in this one passage, she's she's talking about lying there in the barracks at night with women and children, and hearing them snore and grumble and like gasp and sigh and know, know how troubled they all are. And she says, you know, I'm seized by this infinite tenderness. Like, what she experiences there is not despair. Yeah. Like, even though she's like, she's literally in the worst place we can imagine. And what she's sensing there, other people are up against despair. Or at least that's what it looks like to her. Who knows what their experience is like on the inside for them. But where she's standing or lying down, it sounds like others are hopeless. But that's not where she is. And... And then at the very end, as you said, at the very end of her life, when they they're on the cattle cars being taken to uh, to Auschwitz, where they're going to be killed from the prison camp where they've been, and she tells her friend, writes it on a note, and throws it out the cattle car, and people find it and send it to her friend that we left the camp singing. Like, yeah, it's you know, there's a there's a kind of privileged life, a kind of sheltered life. In which you you never face your suffering, so you use your Christianity or your religion or your politics, whatever, use something to kind of keep yourself from. You distract yourself from the suffering. But what the saints tell us is, if you let yourself be in the suffering, you come through it to this joy, to this song, to Mary's song. I think it's also just an interesting testament to why poetry and songs and stories matter so much and they're yeah. so beautiful in all these situations like we have visions or we read poems or we see art or we sing and just the beauty of all those things is also just so incredible for knowing absolutely and it's to this point that's come up multiple times today we can't be healed without our imagination being healed we can't be because if our imagination is diseased or fractured, then all of the worst things in the world get exaggerated for us. So our imagination works against us in that way, right? Which we're seeing monsters where there aren't any. And this is why, you know, as our imagination is healed, and as we are healed so that we can be imaginative, all of a sudden we start to recognize that ever deeper beauty. I feel like we're doing a bad job of showing how joyous this is. <laughs> I'm so oh, sad. I'm I keep crying. No, you're not. I, I mean, 
There's there's pain in it for sure, but it's it's a cleansing pain. I don't feel like your tears are are tears that are kind of clouding you. I think they're clarifying. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it's strange because it's just vulnerable, and it's like it's strange things, right? Or like like new things to me to see. Yeah. I just remembered I had a dream last night. I was weeping in my dream and it was it was such a simple dream I was in a like a train station like a I, I don't know what else it had to have been a train station and there was a little child in there I think must have been abandoned and I just walked up to it I mean it was able to walk but I couldn't tell like I didn't know its name I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl or anything it was dirty and and I had been left. And I just said, hey, I'm a priest. Can I can I just pray a blessing over you? And I just like made the sign of the cross on the baby. Mm. And I just started weeping. Like, I'm about to start weeping now thinking about it. And then there was this woman. And it's because of the woman in the movie we watched yesterday. Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, man, like I wept through that entire movie too, which is hilarious. Now, so I've, left, I've wept at Willy Wonka and... <laughs> The Matrix. I mean, every movie, really. But also Godzilla minus one. And, you know, the woman who's left in the city when in Tokyo when he first comes back and she's yes, yeah, so I mean. angry and you know tells him he should be ashamed of himself, but then she keeps doing the merciful keeps thing. <laughs> keeps like coming to his house and that, giving them it was a woman like that in my dream last night like mm. she was angry but then I could also tell so I asked if I could pray for her like if I could pray yeah. because she saw me bless the child mm-hmm. and she's like no and then she immediately sat down so I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that oh I love characters like that and that Godzilla movie was super good I was thinking I wasn't going to come out and say it but I was thinking about that Godzilla movie when talking about why stories matter so much and I actually realized like it seems so silly maybe but I don't think it is like there's something so cool about Godzilla and even the vastness. Like, yes, probably some crap movies have been made in the name of, like, this thing. But, like, this is how mythology is created, right? For, Absolutely. like, it's a story that's been written to kind of deal with genuine histories. Like, and it's, like, created a myth of a way of for us to start learning how to deal with ourselves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Anyways, I just thought that's a funny addition about Godzilla but <laughs> what a wonderful place to end this conversation <laughs> so Mary and Godzilla that's what you need to take away from this <laughs> yes you need an icon they're one and the same <laughs> uh, it really was a terrific movie but I I think you know I, I'm working on this book now this is another one of my experiences with Mary which I think this might be a good place to stop for this this conversation for now I was I've been I preached a sermon several years ago now, probably five years ago, something like that, about Mary and her conversations with Elizabeth Luke one. And your mom said, you have to write a book about that. And so I've since then kind of been working in various ways. And I, it, it got all the way to the finish line with a couple of different publishers. And then I had an agent who tried to connect it. with, And it just, like people would say, yeah, we like it. We just don't know if it will will work and I realized like it's it's because I I couldn't quite get like there was something that was unfinished about it you know what I mean like there was some something I mean it was just not quite ready 
And I knew that, right? Or at least I came to realize it. And so one day I'm praying and I'm like, like, I wish Mary would just tell me, like, what am I, what I'm missing here? And like almost immediately what I heard is make light of me. (laughs) And of course I heard the double entendre, right? Like be playful. Don't take it too seriously because people are going to be afraid of that. Hmm. But it's precisely in the playfulness, in the lightheartedness, that I become the illuminating presence. That I become yeah. become light. Yeah. And the, this makes me think yeah. of your mom so much, or that character from the thing. Because like I was saying, I am crying right now. But you're right; it's not like some like broken-hearted cry. It's such a weird like feelings know how to explain it. it does feel like all the sadnesses, but also the crying of like being okay. Thinking about all the sadnesses, yes. but when with Mary, when you talk about that and like the kind of people who just make you feel so safe and so warm, and there is something that I don't think we fully got into and that I don't fully know how to talk to about that's really important to me about Mary's like femininity. Mm-hmm. But I think of your mom so much and just like how my gram, she's so sassy, she's so fierce, mouthy, even you might say, mouthy and hilarious. And it just makes it where you can, like, fall into her. I think you had a dream as a kid of, like, holding on to her leg in a storm. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel that all the time. And there's something just so sturdy and strong about, like, a woman in that way. Like, someone who's just so funny and so ridiculous and so fierce. And, like, I think Mary, like, like, she can hold joys and sorrows. She just holds all that, like, strength. Yeah. Well, and what you just said, gosh, perfect. Like being okay, thinking about all the sadnesses, like and feeling all the sadnesses. And that's that's the sturdiness you're talking about. That's the the femininity that is, you know, at the heart of things. That 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 upholds us in in a way that you know, God is always making possible. That's beautiful, Zoe. Thank you for that. What what you're experiencing, I think now is what is called the gift of tears. The like Saint Simeon, I've got his book here somewhere. I was just reading it, where he talks about like this is the sign of the spirit. It's the gift of tears. So we we should we should probably do another episode sometime on oh, on no. crying. Oh jeez, <laughs> um, you know I've been with my uncle Gavin all the time because I live near him now, and I was with him, and every time I'm with him, I'm crying. I'm like, sorry, I'm just in such a crying mood. Not again, not over anything sad. He'll be like telling me a story and I just start crying. And I'll read a text from a friend, start crying. And just like this. And finally he sent me down the other day. He was like, Zoe, every time you've been at my house, you've cried at least four times. I don't think you can call this a mood anymore. I think this is just who you are. are. I think you just cry every day. I'm like, you might be right, actually. It reminds me of Posey. And he certainly had the gift of tears but also joy and that's the prayer he prayed right that we would know joy unspeakable I love that and and it's I think it's you know part of what you you're called to be part of you know what your name is in every sense of that like the the life giving person you're called to be like comes up I think out of sorrowing in ways that remain in which you remain okay like you can feel all the sadnesses but Remain okay.
I love you. Thanks for doing this. I love you too. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.